you know, as an African, when you come to America, you have to find a way to make it, you know. And I wasn't going to go back home the same way I left. I don't take it for granted at all. There's a kid from Africa, you know, who knew nothing about the game. The main question is, what are the odds? Welcome to the SC Featured Podcast. I'm Jen Latta. Every year, the NFL continues to grow and gain new fans outside of the United States. That expanding footprint has also brought in a pool of potential talent who might play American football. This year, there are 57 foreign-born players in the NFL, which makes up about 3% of the league's active rosters. Of those 57, 12 came from African nations. One of them is Detroit Lions defensive end, Ezekiel, or Ziggy Ansah. He is the only NFL player to grow up in Ghana. This summer, Ansah shared his love of American football with the people of his country. And as Michelle Beisner-Buck explains, the star knew his mission was more than just teaching a sports fundamentals. Three hundred miles north of the equator in West Africa is the nation of Ghana. They boast a population of nearly 27 million and the birthplace to one current NFL player. Detroit Lions, Zekiel Ziggy Ansa. Gonna get hit, gonna go down, sacked back at the 40 by Ziggy Ansa. There's a kid from Africa, you know, who knew nothing about the game. The main question is, what are the odds? Every year, Ziggy makes a 6,000-mile trek from Detroit to where he grew up in the Ghanaian capital of Accra. I was born and raised in Ghana, and um, one thing that I've learned growing up was never to forget my roots. Your most recent trip home to Ghana, what was the purpose of that trip? The most recent was to, you know, just go back and uh, have my first um, football camp in Ghana. You know, Ghana has a big place in my heart. I hold the country high up uh, in the sky. I try to represent it the best way that I can. Um, and, uh, you know, whenever I go back to Ghana, you know, there's a lot of people that um, have now started, you know, watching the game. And, you know, when I go to schools and visit, everybody's like, oh, I want to learn this game. Um, I want to be like you. I want to know what it feels like, you know, to play football. And then, you know, I just sat back and thought about it. I was like, hmm, you know, it would be great to um, have the first one in Ghana. And um, I think that was how it all started. Long before his days at BYU and in the NFL, Ziggy's journey began at the Presbyterian Boys Secondary School, better known as Presec. I came to school out here uh, for high school for three years, from 2004 to 2007. The day before his camp opened, Ziggy took us on a tour of Presec's grounds. As he walked through the food court of the school, passing shanties that served different foods to students, he finds his favorite place, run by a woman that he affectionately calls Mama Tess. It's <laughs> a long time no see. You know, graduating in 2007, uh, you know, this is going to be our 10th anniversary, so... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that they, they actually allowed me to be able to put up the camp here. I just couldn't think of anywhere else to do it. 
Ziggy and his foundation originally planned for 150 boys to attend the camp for its only day on the school's field. By 8 a.m., nearly 300 showed up to learn the game of American football from the Lions defense event, which started with the most basic of questions. How many of you know who a quarterback is? Who's a quarterback? The one that throws the ball, okay. Once everyone was broken up into groups, Ansa led players through a pass-catching drill, showing off what he could do as a quarterback. Catch it, eyes on the ball. Go. Oh, that's too high. That's my fault. So how much knowledge did they really have of American football? That's what the program is. At some point, you know, like, you like throw the ball, the ball falls down to catch it and pass it like it's, it's rugby. And then I, I just keep screaming in the mic. I'm like, no, you can't throw and uh, you can't throw it when the ball drops, you know. But at the end of the day, I was like, you know what, let's, let's just have fun with it, you know. It's not that serious. Off to the side of the field. The sounds of local music filled the air and allowed players, families, and visitors a chance to dance and relax in the culture section of the camp. Swept up in the moment, Ziggy found himself with a drum in hand. You know, we had a little cultural section uh, where they were playing the drums and the local music, and I, you know, I just, I just joined in and just, uh, you know, just started playing with them and singing and you know you just see the joy and the um, enthusiasm that was in their eyes man it was just amazing you know it's really touching uh, just, just just being able to be out there uh, just to see all these smiles and in, in, in all these people's faces uh, was just great you know um, it felt like they they had no problems you know and uh, you know that is that is what Oh, the, the, the African culture brings to you. It was just so much joy and happiness. Between the sips of fresh coconut water and smiles under the bright African sunshine, the impact of his efforts for the youth of Accra dawned on Ziggy. Most of the kids didn't have no shoes on. I, I, don't, I don't even know how to express how I felt. In my mind, I was like, you know, there's 150 shoes, 150 cleats. You know, we don't, we don't need to give one kid a sh- pair of shoes and a pair of cleats. Actually, that was what the advice that my brother gave to me. He's like, you know what? I know there's a lot of people, but let's just make everybody's day. You know, we don't need to give one person everything, you know. Maybe next time we can do that, but for this first time, Let's give one kid a pair of cleats and let's give another kid a pair of shoes. And that way we know we're not at least 300 kids are going to be okay with shoes and cleats. And um, that was what we did. What do you remember about the expressions on their faces and the look in their eyes when they got these new pair of cleats or shoes from you? When uh, it was time for them to come pick out the shoes and the cleats, um, I thought that they'll come take the cleats, you know. But uh, most of them picked out the shoes. Why do you think that was? Because they didn't have any. You know, they knew that they could use the shoes every single day. It was a really humbling experience for me. What were your expectations walking into the camp? My expectations, you know, I think uh, the biggest thing 
was for me to just interact with the kids, you know, just just come out, have fun, get to know me, get to know you, um, just, just help me in whichever way that I can, you know. What's the big message that you wanted to get across to these kids? The, the slogan of uh, the foundation is, I am the answer. You know, an answer, no, not, not my last name answer, but a you know, question, answer. And um, I just wanted them to understand that um, no matter what they put out their mind to do, they can achieve it. You know, I think that was like the main uh, idea behind it. You know, um, nobody can stop you from reaching your dream. Um, you know, at times um, it might not be easy. You know, the road is never smooth for nobody. You know, it's rough. But uh, I just made them understand that um, for whichever circumstances that you're in, don't ever give up. Don't ever look down. You know, even if you fall, you gotta get up and uh, just just keep moving forward. And if you get an opportunity, you gotta you gotta grasp it. Like you gotta make good use of it. You know. And um, I think that was like a main message that I, I relate to them. I know a lot of these kids have dreams. You know, it doesn't have to be you being a football player, a basketball player. Even if you want to be a doctor or, or an accountant, you know, they can do whatever they want to do. One thing I always tell myself is that I can't save the whole world. But uh, if I'm able to change the life of one kid, just one, I would be happy. When we come back to the SC Featured Podcast, I'll talk to Michelle Beisner-Buck about her sit-down with Ziggy Ansa and producer Chris Duzan about what it took to shoot this piece in Ghana. But first, if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. If you like what you hear, make sure you're subscribed so we're easy to find next time. And if you subscribe in the ESPN app, we can always send you an alert every time we have a new episode. We'll be right back. Football has made me appreciate life more. Anytime I talk about my start, everything comes back to me, you know. All the struggle, you know, all the pain that uh, I went through, it's just, everything just hits me and uh, it's a blessing. Welcome back to the SC Featured Podcast. I'm Jen Latta and I'm joined now by Michelle Beisner-Buck, who reported on this story as well as producer Chris Duzan. Michelle, I'll start with you. How did Ziggy learn about American football? Well, it's funny because, you know, growing up in Africa, American football especially wasn't really on their radar. Soccer is king. Pretty much anything other than American football was popular. So it wasn't until he was at BYU that he first learned about American football. His friend took him to, I think that he first introduced him to it on TV. And the second Ziggy saw it on TV, he was like, no, man, that's not for me. I don't like the way those guys are slamming into each other. And he felt the same way when he went to a live game. You know, he was, he was pumped up by the crowd. And he thought it was, he thought that aspect was pretty cool. But he wasn't digging that, that, that one-on-one, like, hard, rough, physical contact between these guys. So for Ziggy, his whole thing was to play basketball. You know, I mean, he started playing basketball in elementary school. He went to BYU with the hopes of playing basketball. He tried out for the team twice. From that point, he went to track and field. And it was then that his coach said, you need to be playing football. 
So uh, it was at that point in time that his track coach took him in to meet with Bronco Mendenhall, the BYU football coach, and Ziggy just said, hey, uh, I want to play football. And that's pretty much what he said. And coach said, all right, we'll give you a shot. Be here tomorrow morning. And he was there, and the rest kind of was history. He made it his goal from that point on. He knew his dreams of playing in the NBA were dead, but now he had a new dream, and that was to play in the NFL. I love this notion that he fought it for so long. I know. Finally embracing the inevitable. Oh, yeah. you're really good at this sport that not very many people are. What, um, when you met him, what really stood out to you as a person? Well, first of all, he's a smart ass. Can I say that on our lovely podcast? He's yes. the first. Okay, good. The first question I asked him was, what are the major differences between Ghana and America? You know, just kind of like setting a scene setter question. And um, he said, well, one's in Africa. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. We got a smart ass on our hands. That's <laughs> oh, this is how it's going to go. Oh, oh, this is how it's going. Um, and we laughed. And then the ice was, of course, broken. But he's a very funny guy. I mean, he's got a good sense of humor. He's a big guy, obviously. But he's playful. And he's obviously, you know, he's got a good sense of humor. Um, but he's also very spiritual. And he's very grounded. And I was really moved at just what a healthy perspective and like and a positive outlook on life he has. I mean, he really understands where he came from, where his roots are, and um, he knows how to compartmentalize like where he is now and to use that and turn that into a positive um, reinforcement for his family, for himself and for the people in uh, Ghana. Chris, I understand you hadn't done much traveling before coming to ESPN last October. When you found out you were going to Ghana to do this story, what was your reaction? Well, it's, it's funny. Before I started working here, you know, I worked for a smaller regional network in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I traveled most of the United States, but I never left the country. So in January here, they, they put me on a story on a NASCAR driver in Mexico. I actually had to get a, a passport rushed to even be able to go on that trip. Shortly after that, they sent me to Rome with Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan football team. And and after that, that trip, I got back, and one of my coordinating producers called me into his office and said, we have a great story for you here. Uh, I said, well, what country am I going to this time? Kind of making light of it and found out that I was going to Ghana. So truthfully, I, I didn't know much about it. I knew it was in West Africa, but, but not a whole lot past that. What was your reaction to meeting Ziggy? He's a very quiet guy. I told him that I thought he was shy, and he corrected me. He said, I'm not shy, I'm quiet. So it, it was kind of hard to get a sense from him, you know, what his personality was like at first. He's so quiet, so humble, very underspoken. When I watched the video, I was not stunned, but I was a little bit surprised at just how many people in Ghana knew who he was. How would you describe his level of celebrity? So I think that at the camp, we kind of got almost a false sense of his celebrity because the kids all knew they were coming for an NFL player. But as we were walking around his elementary school, you know, walking around his high school, people would walk by him and look at him. But I think they were looking at him because he's so big and tall. I don't think anybody really knew who he was. So I think in the U.S. he has a lot more of a celebrity than he is in, in Ghana. What was your most memorable moment from the camp and from the experience? For me, that was an easy one. It was the shoes that he gave away to the kids. I saw them starting to unload the shoes out of the truck, and the, the kids' faces lit up. You look across the field, and you know they, they had planned for 150 kids to show up, and he's out there with over 300. And I would say maybe 200 of the 300 didn't have shoes on or had cleats that were falling apart, and they just didn't have the resources to be able to, to get those things that we take for granted. So as Ziggy unloaded those shoes, and they saw that 
oh my gosh, today I'm going to get a new pair of Nikes. It, it was it was heartwarming to to be there to see that. And Michelle, back to you on this one. Mm-hmm. When you put a piece together, there's always a hope that the audience will walk away feeling a certain way. What is your hope that the audience feels after seeing Ziggy's story in Ghana? That's a good question. Um, I just hope that people have a better understanding of, of these guys. You know, I mean, I think that we always take a look and pay the most attention to the star players on the team. And I, I think what's great about what we're able to do this year on Monday Night Football is, is tell some stories that maybe aren't so obvious. Like we want to dig deep and peel back the layers of these guys because they all have a backstory. They've all got something to say. They've all come from somewhere. And more likely than not, I mean, every single one of those guys that stand in front of their NFL locker have a pretty cool story to tell. So uh, let me just say this, you know, Chris, or as we like to call him, Doos or Doozy, he did such a great job of going over to Ghana, getting this footage. I mean, it is, it is beautiful what he was able to capture. And it's, it's informative. It's enlightening. It is, you are watching this and you get a real sense of his roots. And that's important. I think everyone that we sit down with, we want you to walk away feeling like you've got, you got to know someone and that this person, that whoever it is that we're talking about, is doing something for the greater good of themselves or for someone else. And in this case, Ziggy's doing something for the greater good of where he grew up, which is pretty cool. I agree that the images were beautiful. And for people who might not ever get to go to Ghana, perhaps myself included, to get a good sense of where this kid came from and, and maybe a little bit of insight as to why he carries himself the way that he does and then why mm-hmm. he felt compelled to give back to the kids who come from the same background as him, I think is really important. Really good job, you guys. A big thank you to Chris Duzan and Michelle Beisner-Buck for joining us here on the podcast. And thanks to you all for listening to the SC Featured Podcast. Until next time, I'm Jen Latta.